Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Manchester is Red podcast. My name is Rich Bay, your host for today. And in today's episode, we look back at United's draw with Liverpool in the Premier League and look ahead to the midweek meeting with Fulham. United still top of the Premier League, that's all that matters. Uh, Samuel, I'll come to you first. You have the privilege of being at Anfield. And so they were, I say the privilege, uh, it was nice maybe to get out of the house, but the football and show maybe wasn't worth the, uh, the journey uh, northwest. Uh, United still top, a 0 0 draw at Liverpool. It maybe was inconceivable this time last year that United could go into that match with, with that result as the, as the outcome. Uh, what did you make of the actual spectacle of the game? Do you think it was a point gained rather than two points dropped? Yeah, certainly a point gain given Liverpool's extraordinary record at, at home in the league and United's away record has been excellent since they lost at Anfield, I think nearly to a year to the day uh, last year. Now I think the anniversary of that is on it's on Tuesday. It's, anniversary. it's not much of an anniversary, but Anfield is probably the eeriest and most surreal ground to go to. Um, behind closed doors in the it's one of those areas that whatever time you get there it's lively you can hear the fans in the Albert pub um, there's something going on outside be it live music or just supporters milling around going there yesterday it, it, I mean, it was like ghost town anyway but then it's just the ascent up to the very top of the main stand and that's where the uh, temporary press box is it's, it's quite it's a lot higher up than uh, where the newish press box is it's taking escalators up there. Um, it's it's just completely barren. It's it's not it's not it's completely antithesis of what you associate Anfield with. And I suspect United players and staff will have been pleased that they avoided the the pyro and pint greetings that tend to um, uh, happen when they're in town. And the flares obviously are let off outside the ground. There was none of that, of course. It was just very strange to come out of the ground and you know see pretty much the only human being who hadn't been at the game and wasn't in a high-vis jacket was was a dog walker. Uh, and unfortunately, despite how madcap this season has been in terms of throwing up some pretty spectacular results and some pretty fun games as well, Liverpool United is a fixture that is consistent and disappointing. It never justifies the hype. It does get overhyped. We have to provide a service and I think that's fair enough. You, you, you've got to cover the game properly. You've got to do the Zoom calls. You've got to do analysis and the build-up, interviews, chats, and what have you. Uh, it absolutely merits that. It's a hell of a rivalry. But there's not. It's, it's been devoid of a genuine classic for upwards of two decades now. I would say it's, it's difficult to pinpoint the last truly brilliant game of football uh, between the teams, maybe the two all in, in 99, but that was as much to do with the incompetence of the referee David Allery rather than the actual um, brilliance of Liverpool coming back from 2-0 down to get a draw. United on Sunday, um, back in the present, in the first half, they were pretty poor, but it said it all that Liverpool were quite fraught, quite narked when the half-time whistle went because they thought Mane was going going to be through one-on-one. Solskjaer walked quite contentedly down the tunnel and that's what United were. They were content and credit to them, their best chances, uh, the best chance of the game came the last 15 or 20 minutes for Fernandes and Pogba. So the intent was there. It was a progressive performance. It was a positive, it was a positive point. They're still ahead of Liverpool. 
and Liverpool just look out of sorts. I think as, for all the talk of Van Dijk, they to me they look like a side that miss Diogo Jota more because time has caught up with that attack. And I think what always masked someone like Roberto Firmino is that he always had Mohamed Salah or Sadio Mane to mask his shortcomings because the reality is United, sorry, not United, Liverpool have got a number nine there who's not a goal scorer. Um, he's as dubious a number nine as someone like Anthony Martial, who I'm sure we'll get on to shortly. So it was a far better point for United. And I thought Solskjaer summed up the mood quite well in his Zoom call where he said it was it's a good feeling to have that they're disappointed not to have won the game because the chances were there. But if you'd offered, a, if you'd offered them a point beforehand or four points from t- those two away games at Burnley and Anfield, they'd have absolutely taken it. Yeah, of course, and it almost felt Mourinho-esque from Solskjaer, the way that United just you know, nullified the threat, and you know, David De Gea hardly had anything to do throughout the game, and that late chance for Paul Pogba, you know, will have had nightmares about that last night, repaying it in his head, but Don, do you understand why some fans might be frustrated to only have the nil-nil draw? I know it sounds crazy to say after how, <laughs> how poor United have been, and they were 30 points behind in January last year, Um but, you know, before the game, Solskjaer admitted that there's a possible advantage because it's not the usual Anfield atmosphere. They didn't have the fans. As Samuel said, there wasn't that that fierce welcoming that the, the, the team boat, uh, team boat, team boat bus slash coach, I was going to say then, but I said boat, new word, we'll have that. Um, but do you understand, Don, why some fans were a bit disappointed? Um, maybe felt that Liverpool were there for the taking. It might be the best chance United had for a long time but actually getting a positive result at Anfield. Uh, I can understand it, yeah, because I think that United um, had the better chances in the game, certainly, and the way they improved throughout the game and they, they showed a lot more intent, really, to win the game than Liverpool did, especially in the second half. Uh, I, I I get the, the mitigations about Liverpool at the moment, that they've got two centre-backs that aren't defenders and they, they haven't obviously got the, the Anfield crowd in in their favour in that game and that could have worked in United's favour but I genuinely think that it probably would have been a very similar United performance had it been a full crowd and, and had had Van Dijk and Matip or Gomez been playing in that game. I think United, they came to set up solidly. I think Gary Neville said it on commentary, get to the hour mark at nil-nil uh, and then sort of take stock really and, and credit to Solskjaer, he, he took stock and then he thought the game was winnable. He brought on Cavani um, Greenwood probably should have come on earlier than he did. And again, it was a bit of a shame that we didn't see uh, Donny van der Beek. But I, I get the frustration from United fans and I get the fact that this season they haven't really pulled out the stops against the, the big sides. I think they've only, only got uh, one goal against um, the traditional big six and that was in a 6-1 thrashing at home to Tottenham. So it's frustrating for United fans, but I think Solskjaer summed it up perfectly when he said, it's a decent point, but it will come a better point if they beat Fulham um, on Wednesday night. And I think that's definitely the case. Yeah, exactly. If United had nicked a late goal, it would have been a masterclass. And as Gary Neville said there, Don, in contrary, it doesn't really matter how you play. It's the, the result justifies it. If United played awfully but were to win the game, then no one cares. It's all about the, the result and United still top of the table. So we've got that caveat to it as well. Samuel, the selection I saw when the team dropped on social media, there seemed to be outraged that Eric Bailly was uh, not in the squad. That Victor Lindelof came in, he was rested at Burnley, Solskjaer said. Um, the United lineup. Do you think that is their best eleven that we saw at Anfield? You you mentioned before we came on there that no. Cavani over Marshall would have been a, a wiser selection up front. But what do you think? What do you what do you make of the team selection? Do you understand why Solskjaer did it, or do you still think that the decision to pick Marshall over Cavani was was inexcusable? Really, I understood it. I certainly 
when the, the team dropped, you, you just presumed that Pogba would be on the left, Marshall up front, Rashford on the right. And from kickoff, Maguire was telling Pogba, like, you know, push up, push up, because he was going to hit a long ball to him. I thought, OK, that's got to be a tactic just from the kickoff. But then, of course, Pogba stayed there and he ended the game there, even though um, Marshall came off and Rashford moved position. Pogba stayed on the right throughout the whole game and performed respectably there. It wasn't a success, but it wasn't a failure either, I wouldn't have said. And certainly if he gets the goal, then maybe we're, we're talking about you know, Paul Pogba being as a right wing. I mean, I still wouldn't have been, but I'm sure some people would have been that case. But with, with Marshall, I, I just suspected that because Alexander-Arnold is so lacking defensively, they felt the need to have a proper winger going up against him. And obviously Pogba isn't that. And if Marshall is there, it kind of pulls Rashford over into that area because Rashford is closer to him as the centre forward. Rashford's rinsed, I mean, he rinsed Alexander-Arnold a couple of years ago when, when he scored twice and United, I think it was their last win against Liverpool. But Marshall is flaky and he's never going to change. He's 25 years of age now. Um, I mean, if anyone is actually, refer, if anyone was referring to him as a youngster two years ago, they should have been, you know, hauled into the editor's office. It's, it, it was, he ceased being a youngster about three or four years ago. And what you see is what you get. There was one opportunity they had on the counter and he could have put a ball in early and something might have come that he didn't. He checked and he passed the ball backwards. I think the ball went backwards again and you wondered whether the ball was actually going to go all the way back to De Gea because he'd slowed it down that much. Now, that's not what he's associated with. He's about penetration, taking players on. But in that instance, it, he looked like Dimitar Berbatov on, on the halfway line, just slowing the play down, deciding to keep the ball. Um Unfortunately, four years ago, he came up against Alexander-Arnold when he was making his first league start for Liverpool and he gave him such an easy ride in that game that Mourinho dropped Marshall for the next next two matches completely. He wasn't in the squad whatsoever because he felt that let down by how tepid he was against this rookie fullback. And four years on, history repeated itself. And as soon as I saw Cavani warming up at the very start of the second half, it was with such focus that you knew that unless something was going to happen in the next 15 minutes, he was going to come on. But I just didn't understand why wait 15 minutes. Marshall's card had been marked. He was not going to do anything in the, in those 15 minutes. Uh, the only thing he did all game was that he went on one rather spirited run where he did actually nutmeg Alexander-Arnold, but then made the wrong decision, lost the ball. It could easily have been Rashford who went off, but you just knew that it was going to be Marshall. Um, I mean, Rashford's decision-making for that chance where... He, he did exactly what he shouldn't have done. He just kept the ball was, I mean, Cavani was going ballistic and he had every right to do so. Rashford, for such a selfless individual, is is so greedy as a footballer. Uh, he He's always on about going down a blind alley or trying to get a shot himself. He's got to be a bit more selfless um, at times. And Cavani is still United's best number nine. I know he turns 34 next month, but he is the out-and-out striker. Martial thinks he's a centre-forward. He had a very good season as the number nine last year, but he's not having a good season now. And you've got to back it up season after season. He's not done that. So that's going to leave United with a decision to make uh, sooner or later, maybe sooner, because they need to 
you know, decide whether they want Cavani for a second season. I suspect they will keep him for um, for next season. At the very least, beyond that, it's difficult to say. It's difficult to see when are his legs going to go. Uh, but th- there is going to come a point where they're going to need a Haaland-type striker. But the problem with Haaland, of course, is that he's he's represented by Mina Raiola. I certainly don't see Marcus Rashford as, as a centre-forward. I mean, Solskjaer, Gareth Southgate, Jose Mourinho... They're all in agreement that he is best coming from from the left wing, and unfortunately for Marshall, he's probably uh, best coming from the left wing as well. So that means that someone has to move to the right or not play whatsoever. And if that's the way it's got to be, then then so be it. Because as I've said before, the the best players don't always make for the best team. And in the case of Marshall and Rashford, you've got players there where it feels too often we're still talking about the talent rather than how actually good they are and at the moment you only have to look at Rashford's return this season to know that the full guy would have to be Martial. Uh, Don, while the attacking line might have questions about it, United's defence certainly has been a positive the last few weeks and like we said in the podcast it was Lindelof who came in for buy and Lindelof looked maybe rejuvenated by the fact he's got serious competition at centre-back now and in a similar way it was Luke Shaw who was man of the match Alex Teller's signing has spurred him onto another level. Do you think that there's a real competition for places now in United defence, which which has resulted in this upturn in form at the back? Absolutely, yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think Luke Shaw said it actually in his post-match interview that you know he gets on really well with Teller's and he, he's enjoying that competition. I mean, you might probably expect a player to say you know something like that to, to sort of toe the party line, but I think in, in Shaw's case it's genuinely worked and. I don't think he had a bad season last season or the season before when he was actually voted, I think, player of the year. Maybe undeservedly in a in a fairly abject season all round for United in 1819. Shaw was good again in 1920. I think we're seeing probably a more mature side to his game at the moment. And I don't think it's beyond the realms to say that he's probably England's best left back at the moment. And I think he's been discarded by Gareth Southgate in recent squads. I think Ben Chilwell's been played there, Boyako Saka. Has been played there. I don't think he's really a left back. So I'd like to see Shaw in that debate once again. Um, whether Tellers comes in for either the Fulham game or the Liverpool FA Cup uh, tie, I think Tellers will probably start one of those and Shaw will start the other. It just shows that United are benefiting that way. The Lindelof ones are probably a bit different because I think Solskjaer said that he's he's maybe saving him because of a, a back issue, which is ongoing for Lindelof at the moment. But he's got obviously got his own fitness issue, so. Solskjaer sort of juggling those two at the moment, but it seems to be working. I think Maguire seems to be responding to whichever one he plays alongside. I think we've seen an upturn from from Maguire since the start of the season as well. So I think obviously the the final piece in the puzzle is maybe the right-back position and United don't have really a strong competitor for Aaron Aaron Wan-Bissaka, whereas in all the other positions across the back line, they do. So that's probably one for United to address. I I wouldn't expect them to to sign a first-team right-back in January, but I think one for the summer. Talking about squad depth, uh, Samuel, it's maybe no surprise that United were maybe lacking a tiny bit of creativity on the night where Bruno Fernandes was a bit off it again. We saw in midweek at Burnley, he wasn't quite there. Pogba stood up and made the difference at Turf Moor. But Bruno Fernandes, for you, does he just look tired? Does he look maybe a bit exhausted at the moment? Or what do you think his maybe his lower standards at the moment are down to? The fatigue is, is certainly an issue, but there were some passes he was playing yesterday that I don't think anybody in the ground knew what he was attempting to do he was trying to hit a Hollywood pass first time so many so many occasions and at one point Mike Phelan berated him as if to say what the hell are you playing at 
Uh, what United lacked in that first half was someone who was actually able to control the play. I mean, the, the best player on the pitch in the first half, certainly for Liverpool, was was Thiago because he was positive with the ball. He was treasuring it. Uh, he was making them tick. United were prepared to forego that. When you play McTominay and Fred, you're not looking for someone to, to dominate the game in that area. You're content with those two, shielding the back four, especially when you're going away to Anfield and you've got Pogba on the right as well. He's, he's not going to have that role that, that Thiago had. Fernandez could have, because he was playing centrally, he could have dropped back more to uh, you know make it a midfield three every now and then and just keep the ball and keep things ticking over. And he didn't. And he was probably a little bit lucky to stay on as long as he did. And he was very nuts when he did come off because he felt as though they should wait a bit longer to see what, what the issue was with McTominay or whether McTominay could continue. But I think it was just really frustration at his own performance that it hadn't happened. And he still, as he has so often done, almost salvaged it where he had that chance and he just hit it too too close to Alisson. Alisson made the two big moments were the saves Alisson made in Fernandes and Pogba. But I, I think, you know, if, if my son was a little bit bigger, he, he probably could have made both those saves because they were, they were straight at him effectively. He might have been poleaxed in the process, but um, it, it, it was fortunate that both those efforts were very, very saveable. And with Fernandez, I think Fulham, it certainly stands out as a game to, to rest him in with, without a shadow of a doubt. I mean, with the Liverpool game, you can't just make nine changes for an FA Cup tie of, of that magnitude. United will be taking that very, very seriously. Henderson will probably come in, but otherwise you're going to be looking at a very, very, very strong outfield selection. And Fernandez has to be has to be in that team. So in that case, you'd think, well, rest him at Fulham, put Van der Beek back in, see what he can do, whether he can hack it starting in a league game, because he's probably done that once all season. And that was that was at Southampton. So um, it's it's something for United to keep an eye on, just managing Fernandes' conditioning, his, his playing time, because he, he's hardly missed a league game. I think West Ham last month was the only one he didn't start since he arrived at the club. So... Yeah, he's he's not become a bad player or anything like that. It's just obviously a concern that there have been a few games where he's absolutely not been at his optimum, but United have been in the fortuitous position of having Pogba step up. Yeah, it's always sort of been one of the questions against Solskjaer since he's been at United is how he handles the fitness of his squad. And sometimes he is over-reliant on players, even though he, he does carry on persisting with saying there is a squad depth, but he doesn't always necessarily back himself up with his actions don't now we will look ahead to that following game you know united still top of the table the fact that city won so comfortably uh yesterday puts the pressure back on united i know many people would say city are still the title uh strongest out of title challenges of the season and the favorites to lift the trophy so united can't afford to have an off night against Fulham because you know they've shown themselves in the last month to be quite plucky they've taken points off tottenham you know they, they do look like a good side and a team who will who will really sort of pounce on any complacency. So how would you approach that Fulham game, Dom? How many changes would you make? Because when we've seen United go wholesale change in the past, there's just been a lack of rhythm. It's not always worked. They really need to get that balance perfect at Craven Cottage. Yeah, I think whereas you, Samuel said nine changes in the FA Cup game is not possible against Liverpool, I definitely agree with that. I think maybe sort of eight or nine changes over the course of the two games, maybe, and you bring certain yeah. players in for the for the Fulham game, bring certain people in for the Liverpool game and it's a bit of a balancing out. I mean, Fernandez is one, is a tricky one because Samuel spoke about his young son. Fernandez's reaction to being substituted was that of a, a toddler, really, wasn't it? It was uh, it was it was incredible, really. I mean, it was the 89th minute or something that he came off and he he threw that level of tantrum. I mean, 
I mean, the Fernandez fans out there will probably say, oh, that shows that he's a you know a leader and he, he really cares for the shirt. And I get that to an extent. I would be starting Van der Beek definitely against Fulham. I think if you don't start him in a game like this, sandwich by two Liverpool games where you need Fernandez, when when is Van der Beek going to start? You know, it's like um, that that sort of narrative that we've had this season about Van der Beek not playing enough games and the Dutch contingent is seemingly growing by the week of ex-players and managers who are concerned about Van der Beek's playing time. That's only going to grow. So I think we need to see Van der Beek start, Cavani start, Mason Greenwood start. Um, maybe I wouldn't go too too much beyond that. Maybe Tellers at left back and and you could pick either Lindelof or Bailly at centre back. I don't think that that weakens the side really, but it is a balancing act for for Solskjaer this week. I think it's um, it's an important it's a really important week on the back of a, a result where, like we said before, is a kind of a, a what might have been for United. This week, they need to beat Fulham. And I think they can beat Liverpool in the FA Cup because I think Liverpool will be weakened. I think United should go into that one with confidence after what happened at Anfield. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I guess, Samuel, the, the issue for Solskjaer is when he's picking his team for Fulham, he needs to kind of have something in mind for what he wants to do against Liverpool. Um, obviously, this concentration is on Fulham, but do you think Solskjaer will go into the Liverpool game at the weekend with a different tactical approach like United are at home do you think there'll be anything he learned from Sunday's game which might influence his team on Sunday, this coming Sunday, and therefore influence the team against Fulham, if you get me? Possibly. He, he showed Liverpool an awful lot of respect last season, and, and rightly so, given that United, had, at that point, I think they'd lost three or four of their first eight games, and they were well into the bottom half of the table, and Liverpool had won every every league game they'd played. It's obviously the goalposts have, have changed since then, and United are a vastly superior side than they were back then, and certain players like Pereira and Rojo won't be starting, which which is a bonus. Ashley Young has left. Um, but United haven't, haven't gone with a back three domestically this season. That says their their record against the big six has, has been poor. It, I mean, it I do think some supporters just have it in for Solskjaer. If, if they haven't won United, it's like, well, he's at fault. He, he should have done this when he, should, he he didn't do this when he should have done that. It's not as simple as that. I mean, he, he was culpable for their bluntness for the first hour at Liverpool because the attack just wasn't working. He might as well have taken Marshall off in the first minute for Cavani. I, I'd have had Cavani starting purely because he was proper. He is a proper number nine. He was. He would have come up against two auxiliary centre backs from the start. And United kind of blunted themselves by going with non-special a non-specialist in Rashford with with Marshall having his nose put out of joint playing on the wing again. So when that happens with Marshall, it's it's pretty inevitable how he's going to perform. But with with that Liverpool game, there's, there's got to be an element of trying to take the game to them a little bit more, especially the way Liverpool are playing at the moment. They they do look out of sorts. It's remarkable to think that they have gone four games without winning in the Premier League now. Uh, I think the last win was that Palace annihilation where everybody thought now's the time where they're going to pull away from everyone. It's just not happened like that whatsoever. But the key is obviously whether United will, how they use Pogba, um, I think, because... There's, there's clearly a reluctance to play Pogba uh, in a deep-lying role against the, the, the big teams, the big six sides in the Premier League. And I can understand that because he's not the most disciplined defensively. 
I think the most disciplined we've seen him defensively in that role was during the World Cup. And Mourinho's analysis at the time was correct in that when it's just a month-long tournament and the focus is all about that end goal of, of winning the biggest prize in world football, you're bound to be your focus is bound to be a little bit more reinforced and it's a closed environment. And, and that certainly benefited Pogba. It's different over the course of a season. But the temptation would be to play him there, especially where United are playing at home, even though that's, that's rather insignificant these days, with, with one of Fred or McTominay um, or, or Matic even. Uh, I mean, I certainly would look at starting Matic and Pogba at Fulham on, on Wednesday night. Uh, so depending on how things go at Fulham, I don't think it should have much of an influence on how or, or what sorry, Solskjaer's thinking might be for that Liverpool game already. You would imagine he probably knows about nine or ten of the players who are starting the game on Sunday, uh, injury permitting. That That's the way he has to function at the moment with the games coming so relentlessly. Don, for you, this Fulham game, do you see it as the type of game where United could hit three or four? Do you think it'd be similar to that Burnley match uh, last week where United, you know, they were in control and they did win in the end, but it's going to be a, a tighter one. I mean, Fulham, their, their strength is that they can just sit back and hit United on a counter-attack and there really isn't incentive for United to go there and and dictate the, the entire tempo of the match and, and be well on top for L. Yeah, I mean, just out of pure coincidence, I've managed to have seen a lot of Fulham games in the last couple of weeks. They seem to have been on TV at the right time. To play. I saw the Spurs game and the Chelsea game that they played, and I think they're a good team. I think that they've got some good ball carriers in midfield, and Grisa I really like as a player. Uh, Lookman is, is really good and I think will be a threat to, to United. So, I don't think it's one way United will hit three or four. I think they absolutely um, they ran right in one of Solskjaer's early games at Craven Cottage, didn't they? I think when Martial scored a, a memorable goal. Um, I remember watching that from the press box in Southampton covering Cardiff at the time. I think this time it will be another Burnley-esque game, maybe. I, I don't see United blowing teams away at the moment. It's interesting what Samuel said about Pogba and Matic because Solskjaer seems to have now, he either plays Pogba and Matic in the middle or he plays Fred and McTominay and never the twain shall meet. I don't know what you think about that, Samuel, why he doesn't maybe mix it up more in, in the, the two in front of the back four. It seems to be Fred and McTominay are the partnership and when Matic plays, he'll play a, a Pogba next to him rather than someone else, you know? I don't, I don't quite understand the thinking behind that. Maybe it could mix it up a little bit more. I think with Van der Beek, he, he should be playing there in certain games where you don't need two defensive midfielders. Like the, the Watford game, it was McTominay and Van der Beek and Matter in, in front of them. But where the Premier League this season seems so much... Well, not seems, it is so much more competitive and the gap between top and bottom is probably the narrowest it's been in... I don't think it's no sense to say decades. Solskjaer clearly doesn't feel comfortable with Van der Beek playing there. And if he's to play there in front of the, uh, the back four with Batic or McTominay or Fred, it means Pogba isn't necessarily starting. And certainly on form this season, Pogba is, is ahead of Van der Beek. So it's difficult to pinpoint that league game where Van der Beek comes in um, next to McTominay or Matic or, or Fred in, in midfield and United look to cut loose. I think there's there's an element of cautiousness about their approach at the moment, which is pop, the lack of support, I think, does definitely have a bearing. I mean, it's fascinating to see someone like John Stones, who's having who's in a brilliant vein of form. There's no way he would be having this brilliant vein of form if supporters were present. Um, David Walsh wrote a column about it in, in the Sunday Times, saying about how he kind of compared it to um, uh, a golfer who is, you know, just goes to his local golf club, hits hit the first tee straight down the fairway. How different he must be feeling when you've got 
people watching when you've got a grandstand um, and there's silence and there are thousands of spectators and there are millions watching on television. It's a completely different dynamic. At the moment, there's, there's barely any adrenaline. Uh, the intensity is absent, certainly from the stands. You're not getting sick. Um, it was kind of refreshing just to hear some Cockneys carping at Marshall when he went off at, at the London Stadium last month because I hadn't heard it for, for nearly a year. Um, so that acid test, that actual reliable gauge of what a team is, we're never going to know until supporters are back in. So unfortunately, I don't see supporters coming back in stadiums again this season um, with, with the new variant and, and just the way this, this country is, is governed, unfortunately. So with Van de Beek, unfortunately for him, that, that seems to impact his role at United, whereby unless there are some injuries... I don't really see him getting into that role where he's playing in front of the back four, which he's clearly capable of doing. But there's so much at stake for United in the Premier League, in the FA Cup, in the Europa League, that unless you are drawing, I mean, unfortunately for Van der Beek, they didn't draw Chorley or, um, you know, Crawley in the FA Cup. Otherwise, he might have played there. But certainly for Fulham, I would be playing him in the number 10 uh, role behind Cavani. But then Solskjaer might think, well, those two starts at West Ham. And those were the two who came off at halftime with United 1-0 down. So we'll have to see. United yeah. score balls anyway when they go behind away from home. So maybe it'll be a ploy to go 1-0 down and then come and win 3-1 or something like that. Which yeah, every chance of that. Does, it does seem to be their tactic, yeah. Uh, so Don, for you, finally, I mean, we've already sort of touched on that. Your, your predictions for the for the full match in midweek? My prediction is a narrow United win. I think uh, maybe a 2-1 I think Fulham may well score, but but like like we just said, United have got that ability to fight back, and I think United need a, a few goals at the moment. It's been a little bit dry, hasn't it, in front of in front of goal? I think Cavani starting, I think a bit more structure with Cavani down the middle, Rashford on the left, Greenwood on the right. I think it's probably needed people just to to get in their best roles, which we didn't see at Liverpool. Uh, and United should have too much for Fulham. Let's be honest, you know, I think it's uh, it should be a three point banker. Yeah, if they want to be genuine title contenders, they've got to be winning. There's no questions asked. Samuel, for you, do you expect the same sort of approach as, as Dom said, a, a sort of narrow, gritty win, but a win nonetheless? I really wouldn't be surprised if Fulham got a draw in this game. Uh, they, they've looked a much more resilient side so far. I mean, when, when Jamie Carragher said at the start of the season, he's never been so certain of anything in his life as Fulham being relegated. I think most people agreed with him because they did look completely amateurish and unprepared for, for the Premier League. But in fairness to Scott Parker, he's 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 got them going. I know they're still in the relegation zone, but they look a much more bullish side, and there's a lot more confidence about them of, of staying up this season. So if if United drop points, I wouldn't be surprised in the slightest. I, I really, as you as you said earlier, I don't see United cutting loose in this game like they did at Craven Cottage a couple of years ago. So d- despite uh, the sus- suspicion that Fulham might get something out of it, I will go with a slender United win. Yeah, both in agreement there. I'd probably go similar as well. Like I said, I think Cavani has to come back in for that focal point up front at least. And yes. hopefully it'll be a chance for some of the other players who aren't playing regularly to, to prove why they should be. But who who knows what will happen? But all we do know is that we will be back later in the week to discuss what happened at Craven Cottage. So it just leaves me time to say thank you, Don. Thank you, Samuel, for joining us this week on the Manchester Red Podcast. Thank you very much, Rich. Yes, thank you. And thank you again at home for listening to us. As I always say, if you haven't liked and subscribed, then please do. It really does help us. And if not, we'll see you later in the week anyway when we look back on United's game against Fulham and look ahead to the FA Cup tie against Liverpool. Take care and we'll see you next time.